You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. A flight over Vancouver Island has ended in tragedy. A small plane has crashed in a remote area on the west coast of the island. Jordan Armstrong joins us now with the latest. Jordan. Colleen, the coroner confirms one person has died aboard this small plane, a Cessna 172, similar to this one, a plane which can seat up to four people. Now, here's what we know about the flight and the crash site. RCMP say the plane was scheduled to land at 1.30 p.m. Saturday at the Courtney Air Park, possibly the same place it departed from earlier in the day. By 4.30 p.m., the Rescue Coordination Centre in Victoria had tasked the Air Force to begin a search for the overdue plane. Just after 9 o'clock this morning, they found the wreckage near Stewartson Inlet on the west coast of Vancouver Island. The location is remote and difficult to access. Now this, as you mentioned, is the second deadly plane crash around Vancouver Island in as many weeks. Three people died when a small plane crashed on Gabriola Island on December 11th. Retired Transportation Safety Board investigator Bill Yearwood is not involved in either investigation, but here's what he told us based on his decades of experience. There's no science behind that, but experience uh, said uh, uh, sometimes they come in batches. And, and uh, sadly to say, uh, my experience has been that there's um, often a few around Christmas when people are, are trying to get things done and weather is not good. Um, so... Uh, Responders have to be prepared all the time. The plane involved in this weekend's crash, the Cessna 172, is the most popular aircraft in history. More than 44,000 have been built since 1955. Again, the coroner confirms one death, but we don't know the person's name, nor if anyone else was aboard the plane. Colleen. All right, Jordan, thanks for that. A number of people in Metro Vancouver are homeless tonight after two fires gutted their homes. One fire in Vancouver's West End. Flames erupting in a third floor suite of an apartment building at the corner of Broughton and Beach this afternoon. Firefighters saw flames shooting from the window when they arrived. They managed to knock it down quickly, but the suite has been gutted and there is water damage to neighboring apartments. Fortunately, no one was inside at the time. The cause is under investigation. Upon arrival, we, uh, we attacked it from the outside right away with an exposure line. We sent a crew in in the interior right away to attack it from the inside. Uh, it was an aggressive attack and we were able to knock down the fire right away. We made it a second alarm right away due to the nature of the high rise and the amount of occupants that are here today, especially on a Sunday. Driving down the road, we saw a plum of smoke, kind of followed it. Got here, the fire truck was just, just started putting water on it. There were um, flames shooting out the window, not very big, but enough. Um, saw the fire men inside the building, kind of attacking it from inside as well as outside. They did an outstanding job. They were very quick in response. An overnight house fire in Surrey has left several people homeless this holiday season and sent one person to hospital. Firefighters responded to the fire in Wally just after midnight. A Surrey fire says nine people were living in the fourplex on 133 A Street. The building sustained severe damage. One person was hospitalized with undetermined injuries. The cause of the fire also under investigation. Crews arrived on scene to a uh, single-family residential structure. 
Uh, it turned out to be a fourplex. Uh, they had reports of somebody who was inside the building. They uh, uh, made an aggressive attack into the building. They did uh, were able to get the person out of the building and uh, trans transferred that person to BC Ambulance. My wife just got home from work and we were hanging out in the living room. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden there was a bunch of banging and yelling and screaming and I went and looked out the back door and there's just flames coming out of the back of the house. Yeah. Everybody's screaming, call the fire department, so I did and they told us to get out. And, yeah. You know, by the time they got here, there's flames everywhere. I was trying to get cats out of the house, you know, thanks to them for helping me with the cats and everything, right? More criticism tonight over the state of B.C.'s fish farm industry. It comes after a fire broke out at a Canadian fish farm operating in the waters off Washington state. The accident caused the pen to collapse, and as Paul Johnson reports, tens of thousands of salmon have escaped. From high above, it's obvious something catastrophic had happened at this fish farm near Port Hardy. One of the circular pens that had contained more than 20,000 adult Atlantic salmon can be seen partially submerged. Workers with the fish farm company Moe discovered it Friday morning. We are assuming the majority of those did escape. The company is still investigating the cause of the collapse, but suspect at this time it was accidental and was the result of an electrical fire in their system. They're apologizing for the mass escape and say they're working with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans and local First Nations to try and catch or kill those fish as soon as possible. And we are working on a plan to recapture and monitor surrounding creeks and streams for any Atlantic salmon that may um, make their way to those freshwater sources. So I was able to go out there yesterday and actually fly over the farm site and document what we saw. Tavish Campbell is the BC filmmaker and activist who shot this video. He's a longtime opponent of open water fish farms and says the presence of those Atlantic salmon in the water could spread disease and disrupt the ecosystem that native salmon rely on. Especially given the fact that our wild salmon are in such critical condition right now, we cannot be gambling with having a foreign introduced species, um, you know, competing for space in the rivers. A net pen collapse in Washington state in 2017 saw more than a quarter million Atlantic salmon escape into Puget Sound. While the worst fears about harm to wild salmon didn't materialize, the accident prompted state lawmakers to phase out the farming of Atlantic salmon there. And the company had to pay $2.7 million to settle a lawsuit. In B.C., officials with Moe think the escaped Atlantics from Port Hardy aren't likely to last long in the wild, having no experience foraging for food or dealing with predators. Paul Johnson, Global News. There are new efforts to end the ongoing forestry strike in our province, a strike that has hurt many families financially since it began six months ago. B.C.'s Labour Minister is now intervening to try to get both sides to come to a resolution. Harry Baines met with the heads of Western Forest Products and the United Steelworkers Union late last week. He's now asking that mediators in the talks report to him directly. More than 3,000 unionized workers have been off the job since July 1st. Baines has also promised short-term financial packages to families facing bankruptcy starting in January. 
Tolco Industries has begun a two-week holiday shutdown of its BC operations because of continuing low lumber prices and high log costs. The company says the downtime will last until January 6th and only essential service levels of its operations will be maintained. Tolco will permanently close its Kelowna division on January 8th. Well, as Metro Vancouver continues to wait, a Tofino-based entrepreneur is preparing to launch ride-hailing in the resort town after receiving the province's first license to do so. Kristen Robinson has a look at how Whistle managed to beat Uber and Lyft to the road and why it's not worried about finding enough Class 4 drivers. The next car we have is probably the car that'll be used the most. Dylan Green ready to roll out his fleet. A hybrid SUV luxury sedan, and high-end SUV. For the first licensed ride-hailing company in BC, we want to make sure we're the first ones to actually do a real ride. We just want to make it as easy for people as possible. As the driving force behind Whistle app, Green is focusing on resort towns, aiming to launch 15 vehicles in Tofino and 30 in the Whistler area in the first year. We really want locals, casual drivers to join the team. Green, who founded Tofino Bus with one vehicle and transformed the company into the largest provider of intercity bus services in BC before selling it, says hiring casual drivers during peak times is key. I really believe that using locals uh, with their own cars to move people is really what's going to answer all the transportation demands we've had. It's going to fill in some of the holes that we experience here, especially in the busy summer season when we've got hundreds of thousands of visitors and people needing to get around efficiently. Those world tourists want ride-sharing. Wolf in the Fog restaurant gets an estimated 30 requests per day, while the Wiccaninish Inn sees 25. The demand growing as more people fly into Tofino. Ride hailing was overdue 23 years ago when we uh, built the inn. And it is absolutely critical um, to provide transportation options, not just for our visitors. We're aiming at pooled rides of two groups of two. Whistle hopes pooled rides for lower fares will allow locals to get in on the app as passengers and drivers. Training will be offered to meet Class 4 license standards. It's going to give us the, the fair estimate. The app may be live for request. New Year's, if not the new year. Really with ride hailing, anything's possible. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The Squamish RCMP is warning the public about a man repeatedly exposing himself to women. Police have received numerous reports in the last month of a man flashing women who are alone in the downtown Squamish area. The suspect appears to strike during the early evening and early morning hours. He's described as approximately 6'2 with a large build, darker skin and a short curly beard and mustache. Police have stepped up patrols and are encouraging women to be vigilant when in downtown Squamish and to report any suspicious activity. A Port Alberni man is accused in a series of attacks on, uh, rather, who has been accused in a series of sex attacks on sex trade workers in Nanaimo is now facing three more charges. 40-year-old Stephen Bradley Ewing was charged with three counts of sexual assault causing bodily harm in August. Earlier this week, Crown approved two more counts of sex assault and one count of attempting to choke another person to render them unconscious. The new charges involved alleged incidents in Parksville this past June and in Nanaimo on the same day Ewing was arrested in August. Ewing's next court appearance is December 31st. A man in his 60s was arrested in connection with a hit-and-run crash in Abbotsford last night. Witnesses say a man in a Ford Explorer 
pulling a trailer, sideswiped a number of vehicles. And the witnesses followed the SUV into a cul-de-sac. Police say residents, the residents boxed him in and the suspect ran away. He was later caught by police hiding behind a vehicle. A knife was also seized. A 63-year-old man was arrested under the Mental Health Act and charges are pending. He had sideswiped a few cars and uh, two of the cars had actually followed him here. He went into the cul-de-sac, maybe not realizing that it didn't go anywhere, and turned around and the one car was trying to block him in there and he just ran over the front of the car and rolled his vehicle onto the side. And then he climbed out of the vehicle and he had the big knife and he just kind of walked off. Vancouver police are pulling no punches in handing out hefty fines for street fighting. The VPD issued two $1,000 fines early this morning. Police say two groups of people were fighting on Granville Street near Helmkin. An officer had to use pepper spray to gain control of the suspects. Two 20-year-old men, both from Coquitlam, were arrested for breach of the peace and ticketed for fighting in public. Constable Lee Martin tweeted, if you're going to be a Grinch, come down and come downtown and decide to fight, it's going to cost you. Earlier this month, city council unanimously voted to double fines for street fighting from $500 to $1,000. In Kelowna, a man was arrested and taken to hospital following a police-involved shooting early this morning. RCMP say just after midnight, an officer was trying to make a traffic stop, but the driver fled. When the officer tried to stop the vehicle a second time on a dead-end street in Kelowna's Glenmore neighborhood, there was an altercation that led police to discharge their weapons. Despite the gunshots, the driver managed to get away. He was later admitted to hospital with what RCMP are saying are non-life-threatening injuries. The IIO has been notified. It was a shocking and horrific incident. A young woman suffered catastrophic injuries when she was dragged for blocks beneath a vehicle in Vancouver's downtown east side. That was more than two months ago, and Desiree Avencio is now out of hospital. And as Grace Key reports, she's making remarkable progress. Four local bands are getting ready for an evening of music for hope at the railway stage and beer cafe in downtown Vancouver. The event raises money for Desiree Avancio, who was severely injured after being dragged between a van and a trailer. She's made incredible progress. On Thursday, she was transferred to GF Strong for rehabilitation. Now she has like full function in her left arm. She can move it and her hand can move. She doesn't have strength yet. She has no feeling in the hand. But um, that's one of the things that they're going to be working on at GF Strong. The 25-year-old was dragged for four blocks on Hastings Street near Jackson Avenue back on October 12th. She suffered traumatic damage to her face, losing an eye and nose. December 12th was her birthday and the first time she ventured out in public since the accident. Friends took her to Sharks Club where she worked. And she was completely comfortable being there. It was amazing. It was really amazing. We were like, wow, you are so brave. She's just... She's really an inspiration. Though she's made incredible progress, she still has a long way to go. Desiree is working on mobility in her left arm and right leg. She has a tracheostomy tube in her throat and will still need more surgeries. In her eyes, it seems like she feels like she has a lot to celebrate. She's happy that everyone's supporting her. She feels encouraged and um, there's a lot of good energy that's been radiating out from all of these fundraisers that she can kind of hold on to um, where she is. And I think she's just like happy to be you know, like living. A GoFundMe page has already raised more than a quarter of a million dollars, money that will help with living expenses and extra medical bills. Grace Key, Global News. 
And that fundraising event for Desiree continues until 11 o'clock tonight. A Kelowna couple is very upset with BC Hydro tonight, and it has nothing to do with their bill. They say they received a notice about two large cedar trees in the front of their house next to a transformer box. But as Kimberly Davidson reports, before they could reach someone at the Crown Corporation, the trees were cut down. They're gone. They're just gone 40 years. Linda Nicholas is talking about the two 40-foot, 40-year-old cedar trees that were standing in front of the home she shares with her husband, Brent Bessex. A few days ago, they got a letter in their mailbox. Just this little notice that said, BC Hydro will be removing the cedars to meet these requirements. The requirements, as stated on BC Hydro's website, say, our technicians need to be able to quickly and easily access these ground-level transformers when there is an outage or emergency. There must be a minimum of three metres clearance in front of the doors. The other three sides must have one metre of clearance. Last year they trimmed them, so we said, well, we could trim them, we could trim them in there. So they said, yeah. Brent says he kept the cedars trimmed ever since. Linda says there was plenty of room for her to walk around the whole box. I called Hydra right away the next morning, left a message, but that doesn't mean anything. They just cut them down the next morning. The couple wasn't home when the contractor came, and they were utterly surprised when they pulled into their driveway and saw the trees were gone. I don't think anybody wanted to deal with the conflict because if we were home, it would have been ugly. BC Hydro says, in general, vegetation must be removed if it is encroaching on electrical infrastructure. They're looking into the details of what happened here and will follow up with the couple as soon as possible. Kimberly Davidson, Global News, Kelowna. Christmas is coming early for unionized SkyTrain workers who have ratified a tentative agreement with their employer. The deal was reached at the end of an all-night mediated bargaining session on December 10th, avoiding a complete shutdown of the Expo and Millennium lines at the very last minute. The union says the new four-year agreement is retroactive to September 1st and includes a 3% wage increase annually. QP7000 represents about 900 SkyTrain workers. RCMP in Alberta now say Friday's fatal shooting at a Red Deer Walmart was not targeted. The victim, 69-year-old Charles Williams, and his wife were simply leaving the store when they were shot at. The suspect, 18-year-old Chase Freed, is said to have approached Williams before allegedly fatally shooting him. We now know the two men were not known to each other. The suspect then allegedly fled in a stolen vehicle with a woman behind the wheel. The driver and the suspect are now both in custody. More than a dozen people have been injured in an early morning shooting in Chicago. Local authorities say shots were fired at a house party in the early morning hours where a memorial for another shooting was taking place. Thirteen people ranging in age from 16 to 48 years old have now been hospitalized. Four of those victims are in critical condition. No suspects are in custody. A multi-vehicle crash involving at least 63 cars has completely shut down lanes on a Virginia highway. 35 people have been taken to hospital with injuries ranging from minor to life-threatening. Police say fog and ice were present on the roadway at the time of the crashes. At least two people are critically injured. Police say it's unclear exactly what caused the accident, but they are encouraging drivers to be careful in the icy conditions. 
At least nine people are dead as parts of Portugal, Spain and France recover from powerful back-to-back -back storms. Violent winds from the latest storm topped 140 kilometers an hour, while heavy downpours caused rivers to spill their banks. Tens of thousands of people were left in the dark. And a bizarre scene in this part of Spain where crashing waves created so much sea foam along the coastal promenade, vehicles had to plow through it. Tesco, the UK-based grocery chain, is halting production at a factory after a disturbing message was found inside a Christmas card. Six-year-old Florence Whittacombe discovered the note earlier this month when she opened a box of Tesco charity Christmas cards. We were writing in them, and about on my sixth or eighth card, there was somebody already write it, written in it, had already written in it. The message said, we are foreign prisoners in Shanghai Qingpu Prison, China, forced to work against our will. Please help us and notify human rights organization. The note asked whoever found it to pass it on to Peter Humphrey. The former British journalist spent two years in Chinese jails, including nine months inside the Shanghai prison. When I was there, um, manufacturing labor work was voluntary. You know, prisoners could, could do that as a way to earn the pennies that they need um, to buy daily necessities. What has happened in the last year or so is that work has become compulsory. Tesco says it would never allow prison labor in its supply chain. It has launched an investigation into the Chinese supplier it hired to make the holiday cards. Harry and Meghan may be in Canada, Philip in the hospital, but the Queen is keeping calm and carrying on. Queen Elizabeth attended a church service today while Prince Philip remains in hospital. He was admitted on Friday as a precaution for an existing condition. His illness didn't disrupt Elizabeth as she headed to a church service where the royal family traditionally gathers for Christmas. Four generations of the royal family gathering to make a traditional holiday dish. The queen and the next three in line to the throne, Princes Charles, Williams, William rather, and George, posing for photos as they prepared a Christmas bread pudding. The candid photos showing them all laughing together as they stir in the fruit mixture in a bowl. Buckingham Palace says the uh, puddings were baked as part of the British Royal Legion's Together at Christmas initiative. Well, it's officially winter now, and a crowd of people gathered at Stonehenge today to watch the sun rise after the winter solstice. People of all ages cheered as the sun rose over the prehistoric site made up of huge standing stones. Revelers played musical instruments and took photos of the rising sun, which will provide just under eight hours of sunlight there. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. This glittery sweet confection in London is actually much more than just a pretty Christmas display made of gingerbread. It uh, has a rather serious message, message, and we'll tell you all about it after Yvonne's forecast. Yvonne, maybe I'm hoping that your words come out of your mouth a little more <laughs> easily than mine. I'll try. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Colleen, we're going to start off with some great photos that were submitted today. We finally saw some breaks. It was much needed. Uh, some sunshine in the mix and a beautiful shot that was submitted in Vancouver. So thank you so much for Anne for sending in that photo. Oh, Colleen, I'm not doing any better. And there are the North Shore Mountains as well. A beautiful shot in Hope Slide sent in from Nick.
Nikki and with that we had fantastic sunsets this evening. This captured in Victoria, Ted Field, our very own Ted Field, always sends us great shots from Langley. Nanaimo, this was from Nanaimo to Vancouver on the ferry, so thank you so much, Reg. And this final shot that was sent in from Chilliwack and Island 22. So thank you so much for those fantastic photos. What it looks like out there this evening, we do have dry conditions, the Christmas market. We could see that at Jackpool Plaza. Temperatures are going to cool off. It'll be quite chilly. We're sitting at 5 degrees, a northwesterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. Now it's overnight and tomorrow morning we'll dip down to 1, so a heads up. Chilly for the morning and then we do have some sunny breaks. More cloud cover is going to roll in, especially late in the day for tomorrow. Your national forecast, if you are traveling across the country, a few spots uh, into the Prairie Provinces, Flurries for the morning hours, clearing out towards the afternoon. Toronto bumping up to seven in areas near Halifax tomorrow, up to one with the partly cloudy sky. We are going to see a blip in the forecast for the southern half of the province this evening and overnight for the mountain passes in the southeastern corners. A few flurries, two and up to four centimeters potentially easing off tomorrow. And then by tomorrow morning, the next system is going to push in. We're looking at rain moving in and heavy and then inland, two and up to four centimeters. Once again, for the mountain passes, two and up to four centimeters of snowfall beginning this evening, easing off overnight. Higher amounts will be along the Kootenai Pass with anywhere between four and up to eight centimeters. The piece for tomorrow morning, wind chill at minus 26. Chilly over the next three days, remaining dry leading into Christmas Day. White horse tomorrow, wind chill at minus 18 and gusty winds at times up to 50 kilometers per hour. The rain is moving in as early as the morning across the north coast. It'll be snow for inland through the day. Caribou and central interior, the wind chill for tomorrow morning at minus 13. Columbia, most areas will be sitting as rain. It's the Kootenai that's seeing that snowfall into the early morning hours and the Thompson Oak and partly cloudy for tomorrow, drying up with some sunshine. Whistler will have a bright spot. Temperatures will be chilly at minus one. And areas along the island will be sitting at six. We do have a few showers that are going to pop up. It'll likely be Monday overnight into Tuesday. And since we're only a few days away from Christmas, we'll take a look for Christmas Eve so far. We could see a chance of showers. Christmas Day, it looks to be dry, five cloudy and dry conditions. So we could see the showers moving in Monday overnight to Tuesday. It'll be Christmas Eve that will likely see that moisture. And then on Christmas Day, it's cloud cover to kick things off for the morning. Not a white Christmas, Colleen, but it looks like it'll clear up. We'll have some sunny breaks for the afternoon. It'll be a nice day to commute for your Christmas dinner. Back to you. Not too bad, not too bad. All right, thanks so much, Yvonne. Okay, we're going to show you that gingerbread city in just a moment. But first, airports are a whole lot busier this time of year. And in this internet age, being cyber aware can also save you some travel nightmares, as Global's Connor O'Donovan explains. When it comes to avoiding the stress of holiday travel, there's plenty of age-old advice to help you fly clear of any hassles, like, for instance, arriving early for your flight. What we're recommending to all passengers is to arrive a minimum of 90 minutes early before your scheduled flight. And if you're bringing gifts with you, there's a right way to do that. If you put it in your carry-on baggage, you may have to open the gift for security screening. But what might not be so top of mind is keeping your data safe and secure. It's an increasingly important practice in an increasingly connected world. So a couple things, especially when when you're on the go. Cybersecurity expert Brennan Schmidt says one of the first things you should be wary of is connecting to all of those open Wi-Fi networks you can find at places like airports. Make sure to use what's called a virtual private network. And what it does is it makes it so that you're less vulnerable to having people kind of eavesdrop on the conversation. You have a lot of people that, that are just browsing the internet 
probably filling in a lot of forms and you don't know whether or not those forms are secure. He says another travel item you should be careful with is something you might not think of as being connected at all. Your wallet, even though it might be on you and might be locked away, those cards have a lot of wireless capabilities to them. So that's why it might be good to invest in something called RFID blocking. Schmidt says something else to be mindful of is those public charging stations you can use to juice up. They might be convenient, but the only thing is, is that you don't necessarily know what's on side. And also, too, just from a practicality perspective, uh, you don't know how much, uh, how much energy is coming from it. Schmidt says an external battery is a good alternative and that general mindfulness of the security of your data should always be considered in a time where large data breaches are becoming more and more common. For the 30 seconds that it takes to become more cyber safe when you are traveling, It'll save you a lot of time in the long run because if you think that 30 seconds is a long time, just imagine how many suppliers and, and individuals that you'll have to contact in order to regain your identity. Connor O'Donovan, Global News. Okay, a futuristic city is on display in London. Have a look at this. These delicate miniature buildings are all made of gingerbread and they're all constructed by some of the city's top architects, designers and engineers all to showcase their vision of how cities may look in the future. And while it's a fun display, it comes with a serious objective to get people thinking about how we live and move around crowded cities. This year's theme is transportation, a concept that has inspired many outlandish exhibits, including a nightclub, which can be powered by its dancers, and the advantages of using old technology. Our entry is called the Pizza Palazzo. It's a, uh, a gondola centre for uh, the future. Um, we, it wasn't designed before Venice flooded, but then Venice flooded and it became a little bit more timely. The one thing I wanted to know about this story, and I couldn't find it, how long it took to put that thing together, because yes. it's spectacular. That, and I want to know if people actually eat it. Like, is it edible? Do you go I around after? I think it's after? up for a few weeks. Yeah. So you might so not. No, not so much, right? But at the probably, beginning? Yeah. Probably not the freshest gingerbread. I'm sure it no. smells nice, though. Sure it smells nicer right. than, your, than your average city. And yeah. based on Colleen's question, too, it, doesn't know, it could have been two weeks in progress and then sit <laughs> for been. another three, so definitely not. <laughs> Barry, welcome. Yeah, well, oh, thank you. It's nice to be here. <laughs> Just having a conversation about gingerbreads. <laughs> Houses. Uh, well, Seahawks play today, and um, they've been this team that uh, people have never been quite sure of this year. They've, they've had 10 wins of less than se- of seven points or less, which is like an NFL record for closest uh, amount of wins in one season. Today, that wasn't a factor because they lost a game that many thought they should have won. So if that's why I feel a little down, it's because what the Seahawks But uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, the big one is next week against San Fran, but they just, uh, second time in three weeks, they've not looked good at all. Okay. I think of the um, Seahawks every time I walk into the studio because you can't see it, but we are surrounded by green. The Seahawk green when and they wear it. Yeah, sometimes they wear that. Hopefully not again more this year. I'm not a big fan of that, but uh, they have bigger problems in their jerseys right, right. now. Right. Yeah, it's kind of crunch time. All right. Thanks, Colleen. Well, no matter what happened today against the Arizona Cardinals, the Seahawks can still win the NFC West with a win at home against San Francisco next Sunday. But if they had won both games, Seattle would get a first round bye. And with all of their injuries, especially on defense, that could prove very advantageous in the playoffs. But Arizona always gives Seattle problems, especially at CenturyLink. And it happened again today. Russell Wilson voted as NFC Pro Bowl starter earlier this week, having a great year. And he looked great 
Everyone looked great on the opening drive. 89 yards capped by this Wilson touchdown pass to the fullback Nick Bellore. Rarely used other than a blocker. Second career TD for the former linebacker. 7-0, but the lead didn't last long. Kenyon Drake takes the handoff and blasts his way through the Seahawks defense. And he won't be caught. An 80-yard touchdown run and quickly ties it up 7-7. From that point, the Seahawks offense just stopped. Wilson gets sacked here, as he has many times this season. That's the third time of the half for the Arizona defense. Meanwhile, Arizona's fine young quarterback, Kyler Murray, doing his Russell Wilson impression, escapes the pressure, then flips the short pass to the future Hall of Famer, Larry Fitzgerald, who makes a great play to dive into the end zone for the touchdown. The Cardinals led 17-7 at the half, and the news was worse for the Seahawks, who found out that Chris Carson and C.J. Procise, their running backs, not only missed the game, the rest of the game due to injury, they're out for the rest of the season, and... A fumble here as uh, Seattle was trying to get back in it. They made the catch, but David Moore fumbles and the Seahawks could not get anything going. Seattle did get a break. Kyler Murray forced to leave the game because of a hamstring injury. Seattle needed a jump start and they got it. Rasheem Green blocks the field goal attempt. Marquise Blair is going to scoop it up, returns it all the way to the 15, but the Seahawks could not get a touchdown, only a field goal. So back within 10 at 20 to 10, now 20-13 in the fourth, but Arizona with their backup quarterback drive the field and Drake walks in for the touchdown, 27-13. The Seahawks lay a big egg, losing by two touchdowns at home. They can still win the division if they beat San Francisco, but with all those injuries on offense and defense now, you have to wonder if they can do it. Meanwhile, Saints and Titans. New Orleans battling Seattle for a first-round buy in the NFC. Tennessee battling the Steelers for the final wild-card spot in the AFC. So lots up for grabs here. Titans jumped on the Saints in the first, already up 7-0. A.J. Brown is going to go 49 yards for the touchdown, 14-0 Tennessee. But before the half, Drew Brees and the offense finally get it going after a bit of a stumbling start. Jared Cook, nice move there, and then will take it down the sidelines. 61-yard touchdown for the big man. It was 14-10 Titans at the half, and then early in the third quarter, Alvin Kamara with another big play. Just explodes through there, makes it look easy. It's a 40-yard touchdown run. Saints were down 14-0 at one time, would take a 24-14 lead. And then later, Breeze to Jared Cook one more time. 16-yard touchdown, 31-21 New Orleans. The Titans got back within three, but the Saints just seemed to get a touchdown whenever they needed it. And it's a pass to Michael Thomas for the two-yard touchdown. Thomas with a record-setting day, 12 more catches. Up to 145 for the season. That breaks the single-season NFL record previously held by the Colts' Marvin Harrison. New Orleans wins it. 38-28 is the final, so they go to 12-3. Huge game in Philly. Eagles and Cowboys. Dallas wins. They clinch the NFC East. Eagles need to win their final two to win the division. Eagles get the early jump. Carson Wentz to uh, Dallas Goddard. 10-0 Eagles in front. Third quarter, it's now 10-6. Miles Sanders caps the drive, punching it in on third and goal, 17-6 Philadelphia. But late in the fourth, Cowboys down eight with a chance, but it's fourth down. Dak Prescott 
is going to go for the end zone, but it's knocked away by the Eagle defender, and the Eagles beat the Cowboys 17-9 to move into first in the NFC East. They can clinch the division with a win next week at the Giants or a Cowboys loss to Washington. Steelers and Jets, Pittsburgh in the hunt for the AFC wild card. Steelers fell behind 10-0, but rally late in the first half. Mason Rudolph at quarterback hits Deontay Johnson for the touchdown, 10-10 at halftime. Jets got a couple of field goals to go up 16-10. Steelers just could not muster any offense. Devlin Hodges in at quarterback now after Rudolph left with a shoulder injury. He is going on fourth down, but it's incomplete, and the Steelers lose 16-10. So both the Steelers and Titans are 8-7, but now Tennessee owns the tiebreaker with just one game left for each team. And also today, Baltimore with a chance to clinch the top seed in the AFC if they could beat the Browns in Cleveland. Second quarter, down 6-0 until Lamar Jackson fires over the middle, 39 yards to Mark Andrews, 7-6 Baltimore, and the Ravens never look back after that. Late in the half, same combination. Jackson with a tremendous athletic play to find Andrews for another touchdown, 14-6 Ravens at the half. And then in the third, Jackson with his third TD pass of the game, this one to Mark Ingram. Jackson's league-leading 36 touchdown pass of the season. He'll be the MVP. The Ravens lock up the number one seed in the AFC, beating the Browns 31-15. Welcome back. The Canucks played their final before a game before the Christmas break tomorrow night at Rogers Arena against the Oilers. A Canuck win, and they pull within just two points of Edmonton. The Canucks are feeling good after another win against a quality opponent last night, beating the Penguins 4-1. Santa was... Rocking Rogers Arena last night. Uh, JT Miller and the Canuck power play also rocking it. They scored a couple, including that deflection by Miller off of the Oscar Fantenberg shot. It was 2-0 after 1. Pittsburgh did not get a shot on goal in the first, but they got 20 in the second. But Jacob Markstrom was so good again. Robs Jake Gensel there. It was 2-1 in the uh, second when the Canucks get a big goal from Elias Pedersen. As he's going down... He will put it right under the crossbar past Matt Murray. What a great shot. 3-1, and then Pedersen back for more in the third. Will set up Brock Besser. Beautiful little backhand feed there. The big line each scored a goal. A good recipe for success for the Canucks. 4-1 over the Penguins. You know, even when it was when we weren't going that well, they were still playing well and playing the right way, uh, making plays. We, we want them to make plays. We don't want them to dump the puck, but they're also learning that if they have to dump it, you know, you watch PD on the forecheck now, he's, um, you know, that, that line was, they were good tonight. He's one of, one of the most skilled guys in the league, and same for best. And I think tonight, we were all over them on the forecheck. I think we made a lot of turnovers, and when he's playing like that, I think he's such an elite player. He's, uh, and that's when they get tired, and stuff seems to open up, and that's when his nice plays come, because the other team's tired, and we've broken them down. Check out some NHL action from... Tonight, Flames taking on the Dallas Stars. Tied at one in the second. Flames on the power play. Beautiful passing. Matthew Kachuk ripping it under the bar. That made it two to one. And then on a power play just moments later, all five Flames in on this one. That's the way you execute a power play. Sean Monahan with the goal there. That made it three one. And the final is just in. The Flames have beaten Dallas five to one. 
Adam Hadwin is heading back to the Masters. Hadwin did not win on tour this past season, but he finished inside the world's top 50 rankings, and so that comes with an automatic invitation to the Masters. His President's Cup teammate Cameron Smith of Australia could have bumped Hadwin out of that Masters berth had he finished third or better at this past weekend's Australian PGA Championship, but Smith ended up 10th, so Hadwin is off to Augusta for the third time in his career. NBA Today Raptors hosting the Dallas Mavericks, two elite teams, Toronto 20-8, and eight, Dallas 19-9. Raps just 4-8 and eight against teams with winning records. They were down 30 late in the third quarter, but then something incredible happened. Led by Kyle Lowry, hit a couple of quick threes to get them within seven, and then Lowry drives the basket. It's a two-point game, and the crowd in Toronto is getting jacked. Raps took the lead on some free throws, and then guess who's back for more? Lowry with another long three, 101-97. And how about one more time for Lowry? That makes it 104-99. He had 32 in the game, 20 in that fourth quarter. Dallas came back to take the lead, but then Lowry will dish to the Canadian Chris Boucher, who had a career-high 21, and the Raps set a franchise record for biggest comeback ever, a 30-point deficit to stun a very good Dallas team, 110-107. Toronto had scored the Mavs 47-21 in the fourth quarter. Check out some soccer EPL action. Frank Lampard and Chelsea hosting Tottenham. Chelsea Goes up 2-0 thanks to a, a penalty after that foul by the goalkeeper in the box. And it's uh, Willian who will score from the spot. He had both goals for the Blues. They win 2-0. They are firmly in fourth place now. And Spurs are seventh. And one other game, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Manchester United visiting last place Watford. But United has really struggled against the bad teams. And right on cue... They struggled again today. David De Gea, the keeper, uh, should be able to squeeze that. Gets through. 1-0 for Watford. And then they will uh, put this one to bed from the penalty spot. 2-0 the final as United falls to the last place team. And United's now in eighth. And Trevor Henderson, our cameraman's not going to be happy about that. Oh, no. Big fan. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Bear. Here's a look at your snow report for tonight. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 107. Seven new centimeters for Grouse, Cypress 4, and Sasquatch with a base of 147. Ten new centimeters for Manning Park, two for Revelstoke, 11 for Fernie, and 25 new centimeters for Kicking Horse. Ten new centimeters for Big White, Silver Star with a base of 155, Sun Peaks 121. Mount Washington, 21 new centimeters, 31 for Whitewater, Red Mountain opening tomorrow, December 23rd. Powder King, a base of 190. SNL alum Eddie Murphy returned as guest host of Saturday Night Live after 35 years. And he did it without missing a beat. Mm -hmm. Following his opening monologue, Murphy revisited one of his most famous skits from the 1980s. Have a look. Beautiful day for a neighbor. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? I was gone for a bit, but it's now I'm all right. My neighbors was all black, but now they white. So the check cashing place turned into a bank. Elevator works and the stairs they don't stink. The white people came and changed everything, but I am still your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> there was much more than that, but yeah, it was good to see him back. Very funny. It's yeah, it's nice yeah, to see. Getting a lot of the uh, old alumni coming back and uh, doing guest spots. And 
And doing really well. Yeah, they all better. There's a reason why they're real. They're good at what they do, so it's no always kidding. fun to watch them. Resonating with mm. the younger audience, too. <laughs> Quick look at weather. Uh, we are going to see a dry day tomorrow. We could see a few showers popping up Monday overnight into Tuesday. And so far, it's still a few days out. But for Christmas Day, we've got a dry one with some cloud cover and breaks late in the day. Excellent. And before we say goodnight, <laughs> we me. would like to wish all of you uh, who are celebrating Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah on this first night of Hanukkah. Have a great night. Jordan will be here at 11.